The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range. Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie Happy Wednesday. George Hook here uh, with The Right Hook on Newstalk. Here are some of the best bits that you might have missed on today's programme. Well, uh... This week in our national press, we had pictures and bios of people who were discovered in the Panama Papers. And quite rightly, uh, there was a great deal of concern that um, these uh, uh, bank accounts in Panama may, and of course we have no idea why, may or may not have been used to avoid tax. But there's no doubt that the people concerned would have been most unhappy to discover that their names were now in the National Dailies, had given that they had gone to such enormous effort uh, to hide the fact that they were in Panama. That was the whole point about it. On the other hand, we seem to have, whilst we concern ourselves with those kinds of tax evasion, we seem to be perfectly happy that a cabinet minister can sit there and not pay his taxes. He is a tax evader. He is evading lawful taxation in the shape of the water charges. Meantime, uh, across the aisle uh, in the opposition benches, you have uh, the leader of the Social Democrats uh, also says, I haven't paid any water charges. We will get soon a list of junior members, of of junior uh, ministers. And it is rumoured that John Halligan of Waterford will be a junior minister, another tax evader. And one can only presume, although he hasn't gone public on it, it is unlikely, I would have thought, that the latest recipient of legal aid, because he's poverty-stricken, Paul Murphy, hasn't paid his water charges either. Am I calm? No, I'm not calm. I think it is an absolute outrage to the ordinary people of Ireland, more than half of whom have actually paid their water charges, that people who think they can be cabinet ministers, junior ministers, leaders of political parties, leaders of campaigns for for the underprivileged can actually turn around and say, I'm not going to pay lawfully uh, uh, taxes that have been levied by the government. It is it is an absolute outrage. Now, Alan Kelly, of course, uh, has demanded that Finian McGrath should consider his position. Uh, I, I think he should. I think Kelly is absolutely right. Uh, and then uh, Finian McGrath, this is his defence. Listen carefully to his defence. I haven't paid my water charges, but accept the reality that if there are constitutional or legal challenges, I will look at that. It's incredible. This minister needs a constitutional or legal imperative to ask him to pay his taxes. The rest of us just pay it up. And for it is the likelihood is that for those of us who have paid up, we may not actually get our money back. But that's beside the point. He doesn't have a constitutional imperative or a legal imperative. He has the imperative of integrity. 
honesty and an understanding of what it means to be a minister of government in a democracy. He should quite simply resign or pay up. It's very simple. And all this palaver and cheap shots at Alan Kelly simply do not wash. And the rest of them should do likewise. Those sitting on benches uh, in the opposition should do likewise. Uh, 53106, as always, the number for your text messages. Uh, And uh, I should probably, on that basis, see what you're saying uh, in your text of 53106. The water charge isn't a tax, you clown, just like TV license isn't a tax. At least get your facts straight before you blurt out your nonsense. Well, obviously, you're perfectly happy to have a minister in government who doesn't pay uh, water charge. Of course, it's a tax. Uh, What about uh, the refuse tax? What about VAT? They're all taxes uh, and the uh, nonsense. Water charges are not collected by revenue, says another. Those who refuse to pay them are not therefore engaged in tax evasion. Your fake indignation is tedious. It's certainly not fake. I'm absolutely pissed off that people in this country can go around and not pay while the rest of us do and while the the money used to, in order that their leaks done or even to pay for hospital beds and the rest of it, it can sit on their hands and let the rest of us pay for it and uh, give it a rest Eamon and Waterford says, between yourself and Pat Kenny, cheerleading Irish water, it's sickening Um this was never about conservation of water. It's not, look, Eamon and Waterford, stop driving me insane. It's not about conservation of water. It's not about Irish water. It is about being in government and having a charge that is levied on the public and that you, as a minister in government, refuse to pay it. Ultimately, and all the major parties are agreed, those who have not paid should be pursued uh, David in Dublin, George, you're a dipstick. You fool, says John O'Donovan in Cork. John, in uh, when the water charge become a tax. Um, water charge are not a tax. It's incredible. Not one person has come in and said that they are unhappy that a minister in government has not paid the water charge. And you're all picking at a word tax or charge. If I'd said charge, is that the issue? Is the issue now my wording? Is that it? Is that what's important? The use of words. What about Finney and McGrath? Is it okay? Why don't you actually answer the bloody question I've been asking? I mean, I'm mad. Mad as hell. And I don't care anymore what the hell's going on when with this country has reached this length that these guys, Halligan, McGrath, Donnelly and others can stand up proud as punch and say I didn't pay my water charges. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie 
Welcome back. Uh, it's the right hook, and uh, here is George Hook. And um, the uh, just thank the 106 team for the comedy gold at the start of the show. I enjoyed so much. I'm delighted that you that you think it's com it's comedic that a minister in this government doesn't pay his water charges. And I think yet again, and I reiterate, this is a. Uh, just awful and it's a demonstration of where we stand as a people and that's the crucial thing and that's what worries me more than anything i'm not angry anymore i'm just sad i'm disappointed and i'm sick to my stomach a politician government political editor just because an extraordinary number of texts the majority all saying like uh Good on Finian, basically. Yeah, well, well, that's so, where we're at. Just because the majority say it doesn't mean that they're right. Um, leave aside your views on water charges and whether or not you think they're right or wrong. They are the law of the land and they will be until they are either uh, abolished or more likely suspended and, and maybe they'll never come back. But the idea that a government minister, somebody sitting at cabinet, can not pay any tax, regardless of whether they think it's fair or not, is absolutely untenable. And it then raises questions about where you draw the line and what message it sends out. to. I mean, if I decide, for example, that income tax is unfair and unjust because I'm paying too much and out of principle I refuse to pay it, well, then I can say, well, hang on a minute, there's somebody sitting at Cabinet who isn't paying it. I don't see how Enda Kenny can let him continue to sit at Cabinet if he hasn't paid. I think it is that black and white. He either pays it or he leaves. I think but, it's but, that, that simple. But the, the, the leader of the social, well, the co-leader of the social Dem- Democrats hasn't paid his water charges either, Stephen I, Donnelly. There is, uh, there is a John difference. John Halligan, who may be a junior minister, uh, but hasn't paid his There is an important charges. difference between a government minister and a TD. A TD is elected by the people. The only thing that can stop somebody being a TD is if they are sent to prison for more than six months or they become bankrupt. On this basis, Michael Lowry could continue as a TD. The people are sovereign in that regard. A minister is appointed by the Taoiseach. And I don't see how Enda Kenny as Taoiseach can stand over a situation where one of his ministers is thumbing its nose at the law and effectively delivering a slap in the face to the majority of people who have paid their water charges. I don't see how that's sustainable. And the other difference between a minister and a TD is most of the legislation comes from the government. The, the government, the ministers have a greater duty to lead the way and show example on upholding the law. But like I have a picture taken uh, today at the cabinet meeting where they delivered the, the, the programme for government you and I are going to discuss and like they're all sitting there they're all smiling and they're all proud of themselves and in their midst is somebody who has not paid water charges a, a, a charge levied by government law and they sit there and they're comfortable to sit next to him well, I wouldn't I, I, sit next I, to him I don't know how long that situation is tenable for. I don't think that that this can be just, I don't think it'll go away. I don't think it can be brushed under the carpet. I think it will have to be addressed. I don't see how 
Andy Kenny, for example, can appoint John Halligan next week as a junior minister if he says, I'm not going to pay my water charges. It's going to be difficult for Finian McGrath and for John Halligan. I think they're going to have to swallow their pride and they'll be accused of a sellout by anti-water charges com- campaigners. But I don't see how they can avoid doing it and stay in government. But, but look at McGrath's self-serving answer. He said, uh, if there is a constitutional or legal imperative, I'll pay it. Right? He's not saying, I'll pay it because it's the right thing and because I'm a person of integrity and because the, my position, I'm proud to be a cabinet minister of the Irish Republic. It didn't, none of that seems to care a whit but, for. But hang on, there is a legal imperative to pay it. I mean, it's the law of the land. I mean, what more legal imperative do you need? And look, I accept many people have chosen not to pay it but I repeat again there is a huge difference between ordinary citizens doing it and somebody who is sitting at cabinet uh, doing it and uh, I don't think it's sustainable and I don't see how Enda Kenny can tolerate a situation where one of his ministers sitting at cabinet and another junior minister are not paying the water charges I don't see how that is sustainable Alright the, the programme for government has been announced Shane Coleman you've just heard is with me political editor at News Talk and uh, Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party. Welcome, uh, Deputy Ryan. George, how are you? How nice it sounds, Deputy Ryan. Are you enjoying it being back? I am, yeah. No, it was your canvassing did it, George. I think it got me over the line. <laughs> well, I didn't get loose in there. No. Uh, tell me, uh, why did you could have been part of all this government? Because you were one of the first fellas to come out, one of the first people to come out and say, you know, it is it is upon us to form a government. It is, and, and there has been a government formed. Uh, we didn't join it. As I learned in my own speech on Thursday, Friday in the Dáil. We didn't share. We didn't think the government had sufficient vision around the sort of sense of direction we have the country. I'd be spending my whole time in government fighting to kind of ch- to bring that in. Uh, when what the government needs to do is to be building houses, improving community healthcare, getting on with some urgent things they have to do. Secondly. Um, uh, we need to build up our strength. We need to be build bigger, stronger. We have to kind of come at it with the with the you know, really good, you have to go into government. I've seen it. You have to come come with real strength, and we have to build up that that uh, that strength. But also, thirdly, and most importantly, maybe for us. There is, I know this is a bit of a cliche at the moment, but there is actually a, poss- a possibility of working from the opposition benches, which we're committing to do, to try and make this experiment work towards okay. a more corporate right. politics system. Okay. And that's what I want to now, do. I want to, I want to talk about uh, the programme for government, but I cannot, uh, with a former minister in the studio, ask you, is it sustainable for Minister Finian McGrath to stay in Cabinet and not pay water charges? I think it's real difficult. I heard him on the radio the other day, and I'd agree with what Shane just said. I, I think, how can you be telling people to do what not if he isn't obeying the law effectively how can he be writing and setting the law if he if he's not apply, applying the existing laws and I suppose I'd, I'd just say kind of in, from his uh, portfolio in terms of disability and we do need to spend money and improve disability services it's hard to do that if we don't have the money to do it which is which is part of why we have to get people obeying the okay. law because it keeps the whole system working all right Shane what's your thought on the program for government uh, what I mean, are the key points in? Uh, I mean, it's 155 pages. I 
I had read the draft one, so I'd have, it, it's not that different from it. I, I speed read it in the last uh, hour and a half. Uh, I mean, look, I suppose there's, it's kind of a one for everyone in the audience. I, I wouldn't be overly enthused by it, George. It is, it is what it is. It is the you know we have a government made up of Fine Gael and a whole plethora of independents, and you can see the independent stamp in there with a variety of smaller issues. I suppose if you're looking at key points, uh, there's a there's a big emphasis on housing and there's there's some interesting ideas on housing and social housing affordable rental increasing supply better compulsory purchase uh, powers if they are introduced I think they will make a difference there's a big emphasis on uh, new jobs I'm not so sure how many jobs the government can create themselves there's lots of talk about health there's a very big commitment about reducing waiting hours in emergency departments uh, Currently, about a third of people wait more than six hours. They're committing to bring that down to 7%. That's a big, big ask. There's lots of talk, as you would expect, about reforming the doll, about reforming uh, how budgets uh, are are done. Um, it'll uh, th- There's not an awful lot of meat in it, if okay. I can put it that way. Well, I, I, I'll hold my wish for the moment. Eamon mm. uh, Ryan, what do you think about it? I've just come out of the Doll Reform Committee. We had our ninth meeting, I think, today. We'll have a tenth one next Tuesday. And actually, I think one of the things that this document provides for is actually a a more collaborative doll. And one of the things, and I would agree with what Shane said, there's a lot of empty promises, or very easy promises, 150 pages of promises. But there's one section that I think opens up an opportunity. It recognises that there's some long-term challenges we face in this country. How we deal with climate, or maybe how we deal with migration, or maybe how we change the nature of our economy from being one reliant on foreign direct investment to one which promotes Irish enterprise more. Or, Or indeed how we fund our health service. And what it says when it comes to those long-term challenges is we need to get wider consensus on the approach we need to take. It's on page 13, 12, 13 of the document. And I think what it's saying on that is actually an important opportunity because it's saying the state needs to change the way it consults. We have a terrible tradition in public service of we're going to public consultation, which isn't really consultation at all. It's a tick box exercise just to prove what you already know what you want to do. If instead you turn it around and really open up the question, where do we want to go as a country? How do we want to face those big issues around international issues like climate and my... my, my but sorry, migration? hold on. That's OK. But I I mean, I'm reading, admittedly, the, the summary. Mm. Summary does none of that. No, it doesn't. But that's actually, I think... What the key issue in this period, if two or three years, that said to this government's eyes, which I hope and think it could. Yes, it needs to do some things immediately. It needs to start building 25,000 houses in the right place. It needs to improve the, the healthcare system so that those waiting times fall. It needs to keep job coming. But it actually in that period or what the opportunity is, if we're moving towards a parliament where a minority government doesn't have full control, it needs to get consensus in the parliament and not just within the parliament, but with a wider body of people on what is the direction we want to take. So that after that, in the three or four years time, we know what we want to do and we invest to to make it happen. Let's take two things that you raised and what it says. Like take housing, Mm. right? It doesn't say we're going to build 25,000 houses. It doesn't even say we're going to build 5,000 houses. It says our 
ambitious agenda will deal with the shortage of new homes. Uh, we also want to keep families in their homes and avoid repossession well, where possible. It, it does That's set, aspirational. It does set a target of 25,000, but also more specifically, come back to what Shane said earlier, it also recognises that we need to completely change the nature of social housing and really ramp up social housing, investment where the state invests. And it proposes the introduction of a cost rental model as as, rec- as, as uh, recommended by the National Economic and Social Council. That, if it's implemented in the way I'd like to see it happen, and we've been pushing this ourselves for quite some time, would fundamentally change the nature of the whole social housing system in our country. And that would be a good thing. So I'd be going in saying, I'd be critical of a lot of other elements of the document, but I'd say on that sort of issue and on some of the other items, I'd say, yeah, we agree with you. Let's make it happen. All right, Shane, what do you think? I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that the, the most meat in this is in relation to the housing uh, sector. I mean, there is a lot of detail. There's a lot of talk about various options that are there, about how you build uh, social housing, about affordable rental, about the, the role of NAMA, uh, about, well, this kind of wishy-washy stuff about the role of credit unions as well, which I wouldn't pay a, a lot of attention to, about measures that will boost the supply uh, of of the, the private sector, about increasing density in urban areas, which I was kind of surprised to see. So there is... Some meat in there. There's also, there's also some of the old politics in there, which isn't as as good to see. Um, for example, talk of a help to build scheme. Now, I'll await to see the detail of that, but that to me smacks of the old three thousand euro first time buyers grant. The danger with these kind of schemes is all they do is ramp up the price and yeah. that, that people have to. So I w- there's also talk about diluting the central bank rules, whereby. If you paid rent for five years, that would be taken into account. Again, let's wait and see what the detail of that is. But that would set alarm alarm bells ringing uh, for me. But there is there's a fair amount of meat there, and I think I think it's I actually think it's crucial as well that they have okay. a minister in Simon Coveney right. who actually volunteered for this job, who chose it himself. Because I think Eamon's right. I think it's the most important issue this government will but, face. But you have been involved in the formation, Eamon Ryan, of of a program for mm-hmm. government, right? No program for government I put there, and you you can correct me. No program for government by the end of that government's tenure was actually achieved. So a huge amount of this is aspirational. Sounds very nice, but they're not going to achieve it. Isn't you that? worry about things that, like this central bank thing. Either that central bank rule is right to dampen down price inflation or it isn't. And they're trying to find ways around it. Isn't one of those journals wrote about battle, you know, the first thing that happens, first thing we go to battle is that the plan has to be thrown away because events change. And, and it's the same with government. Things happen. But a programme for government does give you, it, it allows you uh, to kind of set out broad parameters where you have um, within government agreed, OK, we're going to try and do that. Now, that won't, the reality is this document is so large and so aspirational that most of it, the vast majority won't get, won't get, uh, won't get built. Can I get one? No, sorry, I'm not going to let you go on that. Mm. Like, why are we discussing something if, as you say, the vast majority of it is aspirational and will never happen? Why are we discussing it? Because we've got to concentrate on getting the stuff that can be done done, including in housing and elsewhere. I think the other really interesting question, or, or the bigger question is, what this document doesn't do is tackle difficult calls. And for example, in that, in this housing issue, we have in the process of, of forming a national spatial plan. The Department of Environment uh, officials present during the, during the talks about the formation of this document and said they pretty much had to have it by the end of the year, or early next year. 
Now, that's difficult because then you're facing what John, John Moore and the former Secretary General of the Department of Finance highlighted last week. You know, well, how do you, do you develop Limerick more or do you develop Cork? Do you develop Galway? Do you develop, or, or how but, do you but manage I mean, Dublin? In this document, they talk, I mean, this is one of the wishy-washy, I think. And I know people in the west of Ireland will be texting in when I say this, but there's talk of an Atlantic economic corridor. Now, I'm sorry, that's nonsense. You can't have an economic corridor that runs the length of the Atlantic. You have to prioritise. Now, if it's Galway or if it's Limerick or if it's Cork, but if we're in this, you know, advanced factories, if we're back to that day, now I don't think that'll happen, but advanced factories for every parish in the country because that's what independents want, well, then we're in trouble. So there's a lot of wishy-washy and stuff I agree. In I think that's where you get the one forever in the audience, which would not work because the, the country, you know, we have to plan effectively now where we build. That's where I go back to what I said at the very start. Where you have difficult calls like that, actually for the government to consult in a different way or to form a national plan, in a, a national spatial plan in a different way. The last time it was done about 15 years ago, everyone got a, a development centre. There was development everywhere. That won't work this time. I think actually this might be an opportunity to go back with that sort of spatial planning to really put the onus back okay. on Limerick and on Cork and on Galway to come forward with what they think they're okay. uh, how they're going to develop but and the same in, in, in Dublin I think one of the things it says at the very end of the document which is in terms of political reform it's recognised that we do need direct, a directly elected mayor. Let's go somewhere where you're really interested let's go to climate change mm. like what gives you hope in this document about climate change? Nothing there exactly. Is, you know, like, exactly. Can I, can I explain why? I mean, there's lots of aspirational stuff. When people saw that, you know, the debate last week, Danny Healy Ray was out and kind of everyone had great kind of times attacking him rightly because in my mind his views on climate change are not, um, they don't recognise the reality of what's happening. But the fear I have actually is, is the rest of the political system, which kind of puts itself forward as, oh yeah, we believe in climate change. It isn't Danny Healy Ray the, the outlier. But the reality is, as I see it, none of the political parties, although they say they recognise the science, Correct. they're not willing to do anything about it. And I think that in some ways is worse. And this document is very typical in that. Firstly, it's saying we keep burning peat and peat fire power stations. You cannot cannot do that and no amount of board in the morning ads out there at the moment on the radio and in the newspapers with nice hairs kind of saying oh aren't we great we're looking after nature we're not we are burning it and the planet is burning because of it so we have to stop that but secondly there's no real ambition the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland has set out what we would need to do if we were serious and it's a multiple investment in energy efficiency but there is a worry and, and it might be a small thing and might give you a, a grin but nevertheless the EU is proposing to ban kettles and toast in its efforts. Like, isn't there a danger here that we lose sight of the big problem of climate change? Meanwhile, no we danger can't this, have no toast danger for in this programme for government, George. There's a there's actually a, there's a whole page, at least at least a page, uh, designated to turf cutting. And in that, they promised to to, uh, to de-designate 46 NHAs. I presume NHAs are natural, nat- ha- natural habitat, natural yeah. habitat areas. So they're de-designating them. So no worry about that, because we'll focus but on the right, things. You must honestly, Eamon Ryan, as leader of the Green Party, on that specific issue of climate change, because uh, in the Kenny, you know, pre- on a previous occasion said we were too busy to be dealing with climate change. There is not a belief Belief amongst 158 people in Dáil Éireann that climate change is a serious issue. No, and issue. that's why, can I go back to that's what I said at the very start about the wider conversations we need to have in the country. And one of those I would like to have is to actually to broaden out the understanding that actually if we tackle it, it's going to be good for the country. It's not just a hardship or it's not something, it's actually something that gives us an opportunity. Yeah. But, it's going but to create the, the, the attitude, George, to answer your question about the 158 TDs is that of St. Augustine. 
you know, Lord make me chaste, but not yet. Okay. That is the approach. All right. Look, I have a guest on the telephone, which uh, I'd, I'd like to, because one of the things that was discussed pre the, the announcement was that so uh, child benefit would be linked with school attendance, right? You might explain that, Shane, before I go to the guest. Uh, well, I think it's exactly as you as you explained it. That uh, if you 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 don't get child benefit, the, 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 I don't see, didn't see uh, too much about this in the in the program for government. Yeah, but but Paul Murphy. Um he of the anti-everything body, he says that this is attacking uh, poor people. Now, Janet Lynch is principal of St. Edna's Girls' School. So anybody who has a question, either Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party, or Shane Coleman, let's, let's give it to the principal. Principal, welcome to the programme. Hi, George. Uh, now, you're in Edenmore. Um, uh, what kind of school? Is it a... Is it would it be a disadvantaged one. It'd be disadvantaged. Okay, perfect then. So, so how did you react when you read that child benefit might be linked to school attendance? To be honest, I, I felt quite uncomfortable about it. You know, I was surprised and I'm wondering what's underpinning it. Is it economic? Because, you know, in my experience, yes, there are issues with attendance, but... And any chronic attender I, I've dealt with, has there's been some underlying issue that requires support, not a punishment. So I don't understand why this punitive measure, why it would be linked to money and, and who ends up suffering. And, and in my experience, I'd imagine it would be the child who, we, you know, is that really the kind of society we want? What do you think about that, Eamon Ryan, that proposal? I think it was Dennis Nocton proposed it originally, but what are your thoughts I about it? I don't agree with this. I, and I think one of the strengths of child benefit is a universal payment. It, it is actually, uh, I, I think it leaves it up to the parents in terms of how it's spent and how they want to best raise their, their, their child. And that's one of the strengths of it. And I think we made the right strategic decision over the years in, 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 in putting money into child benefit. And I would agree. I think if we start to kind of use it as a as a tool for social uh, uh, lessons or, or, or kind of try and improve other measures, I think you lose some of the benefits of that universal. One of the things that Dennis Nocton did talk about, if memory serves, in, in his proposal was that it would save money. It seems an extraordinary way of attempting to save money, Principal uh, Janet Lynch, doesn't yeah, it? and I that don't understand. I mean, I know, for example, the school completion budget has been cut 25% since 2008. So we would be involved in school completion. So we're trying to keep children in school as much as possible, get them to their exams, get them to go on to third level if possible. So if that budget's been cut and, you know, we're meant to be in, in good economic times now and it's still being cut for next year, we heard today, why then... Are we trying to save money from child benefit? I just think it needs to go into support, maybe lift the moratorium where we could have more social workers, where we could have more attendance officers actually supporting these families and what the underlying reason is, rather than punishing them when the issue has already happened. It, it's a shame. Prevention rather than cure, really. Shane Coleman. I'm open to correction on this. That proposal was in the draft programme for government. Now, I, the reason I hesitated when you asked me was because I, I speed read the new one out there and I didn't remember seeing it in there. And I'm not sure. It, it, there is a line in it. We will reform the monitoring of child benefit mm. uh, payments by amalgamating the two existing school attendance monitoring systems currently run by the Department of Education and Tulsa to address poor attendance within some families. That sounds like they have diluted it between the draft and the final programme. But they haven't 
got rid of it. There's a connection. They've they've said there's a connection between school attendance and child benefit. But they've said that. They have, but the draft one was a lot more okay. categorical about it. Janet Lynch, finally, um, the, the, is it a widespread problem? Like, you're working in a disadvantaged area. Can you see in your school rules uh, issues of non-attendance by, by children in deprived families? Again, it's a very complex issue. They're, they're little people we're dealing with, so you know, it could be a child who has a chronic illness like asthma. Maybe they're not living in a great condition and that's why they have asthma. Or it could be a child in emergency accommodation who isn't able to get to their local school because the hotel is now outside of the catchment area. So there's lots of issues okay. going on. You know, yes, right. we do. We report the children to Tusla who are at 20 days. In my experience, not a lot happens until it gets really chronic. So again, I'd love to see more being done with the current system and, and make that work rather than bringing in something totally new with no consultation and not maybe talking to the people who are dealing with it on a daily basis. All right. How's your breakfast club going? Fantastic. And thank you so much for all your help. You've made such a difference to us on a daily basis. <laughs> thanks. thanks to Brown Brothers Harriman who helped us out after <laughs> listening to your show, George. So thank you. All right, we do a lot more. Wait until September. They'll be on bacon, egg and sausage <laughs> and Irish. all kinds of a vein clogging <laughs> Ryan Deputy Ryan, the Green Party, expects all your children to be in sandals and eating muesli. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Principal. That was Jan Lynch. Uh, George, can I say one other thing about the programme for government? I, which no, can I? I don't want to leave child benefit for oh, sorry, a minute, on, yeah. right? It is extraordinary that they challenge uh, a poor family's child benefit mm. and they don't challenge, now it's hypothetical because they don't have children anymore, and they don't challenge George Hook or Denzel O'Brien or Michael O'Leary or whatever. Isn't that the real contradiction? It is, and one of the difficulties, still one of the difficulties, is that our social welfare system and our tax system are not integrated, which is one of the reasons why it was difficult to But you just tax all social welfare. Yes, and and I think we should also go with refundable tax credits, so that if you're if you're not working, you say let's say if you're at home caring, you can avail of some of the benefits that the tax system gives. So I I think yes, we need to integrate the two, and I think we okay. need to refund tax credits so that those who aren't in the paid workforce are recognised for the work they do. Okay, all right. Do you have a point, Shane? You want to raise? Yeah, uh, and I just to emphasize, I, I think they've backed away from that measure a little bit, but it'll, it'll be, I, right, I look right. at it in more detail. The other thing that struck me about the document, chalk and cheese compared to the last programme for government. We've spoken about this before, George. I think the Achilles heel of the last government was hubris. They, there was an arrogance about them that at times I, I watching proceedings in the doll found unbearable. Uh, there What's is, the difference There's now? a humility about this document they talk about being <laughs> about being <laughs> Ah, come on Well, Shane. I'm just talking about the language in it I'm just saying they're humbled by the opportunity they're open to ideas from any quarter they're saying you know we don't have a monopoly on ideas that we will work with parties across I mean, this is a government this is a Fine Gael party that routinely drowned down deputies, Eamon, in, the la- Ryan, deputies in the last Is your man Coleman for real? No. Oh, is he? No, I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm saying in the document, well, well, it's very right. different. Let's wait and see what happens. I mean, it could surrounded be. by idealists. It's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> but why not? I mean, do we need to restore some some um, public uh, uh, 
regard for our political system. And I think we'll do it not on the opposition just by being against everything and not, as Shane Coleman says, in the past five years, just by being pure arrogant and driving through the street. All right. Well, uh, Joan Burton, I I spoke to uh, just after her resignation. She made an interesting point. This is the most Fianna Gael government ever. Isn't that right? It will have more Fianna Gael uh, TVs in Cabinet. Mm. Do you think that will make a difference? Yeah, I mean, it is a very much a Fine Gael-led government because Dennis Nocton comes from that background. Yeah, and, uh, Shane Ross. And Shane and Ross, similarly, and, and Catherine Zippone was had, had been appointed with the previous Taoiseach. I'm not saying that that influences her, but, yeah, yeah. but but it is without doubt. But it is a government that actually doesn't have the... It, only, it has only 59 numbers uh, when you need 79 to have... It's, um, it's not uh, your uh, traditional Fine Gael um, programme for government. So, I'll tell you that, so George. It is, it, is, it, is, okay. it is a government which is going to have to rely on the opposition a lot. And that's going okay. to be... Okay, I'll, I'll have you both back, the leader of the Green Party, Eamon Ryan when there's a wind farm in my back garden and <laughs> a News Talk's political correspondent Shane Coleman The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips MitsubishiMotors.ie Welcome back to The White Hook with George Hook. In the studio with me is the parenting columnist for the Irish Times, John Cherry. John, welcome to the programme. Great to be here, George. Now, you write for the Irish Times, but your profession is a social worker, really, is it? Yeah, social worker and psychotherapist. I work in mental health for the last 27 years with families families dealing with difficulties of all sorts. Like, there was a really interesting, I thought, column about children, which, with the way it was phrased, that children need more backbone. It was an interesting kind of thing. Do you think now that modern-day parents simply don't allow children to do anything that children did for generations? Well, there, there is this tendency that you can sort of take over your child's co- conflicts. I, I suppose there, 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 there's two things you can do that, that aren't healthy. You can sort of abandon them to the conflicts and you can sort of take them over and, and sort them out for them. I suppose from my point of view, the, the key is to try to help children resolve their own conflicts as much as possible to empower them if they're in a dispute with other children, that you don't rescue them as such, but you help them think it through themselves and sort things out. But, I mean, <clears throat> there was a time when children actually fell out of trees, you know, mm-hmm. or played football in the streets or cycled to school. Mm-hmm. or And in all those activities, the child was faced with challenges that mm-hmm. he had to fix, either with other children, the point to make, or other issues uh, relating to adults or, mm-hmm. you know, because you were climbing so his orchard and stealing mm-hmm. their apples. I wonder, do any children steal mm-hmm. apples anymore? So what kind of a child, therefore, are we going to get? Are you worried about that? Well, I, I think, uh, like, as you say, in, in previous generations, children were very much sort of, uh, had much more freedom. They lived sort of a bit out in the streets. They, they were sort of... Uh, manage their own devices there's a lot of advantages to that and I suppose nowadays children are much more in their parents pockets aren't they they're much more parents are much more involved managing their lives and uh, and so forth so I think it's about getting a balance right there's advantages to, to that that parents are much closer to their children than they ever were and, 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 and so forth so it's about getting the right balance I don't think like one is absolutely wrong and one is absolutely right uh, but uh, but the fact that you're a professional uh, dealing in mental health issues, mm. primarily with families That's and right, so yeah. on. Now, I didn't know maybe there was, but I don't think there was anybody around to help my mother when she was going through issues. Is it because we recognise the problem now and we didn't before, or there is simply more of a problem? I mean, is family a much more difficult place now? 
Well, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think families who did suffer a long time ago when they didn't have supports, now, now they often was better communities as well. Like they were very close, there was better networks of extended family and so forth. But I think also if families were under stress, things just didn't go right and they got no support. Like there's countless stories from people as adults describing horrific childhoods where there was no supports for them and they were left to, to their own devices. So, it, so it's a sort of plus and minus. Now there are more supports. There's more of awareness that parenting is really stressful, that parenting is hard, the awareness that children have all these needs and there's much more demands on parents to meet them. So there's a lot a lot of pressure on, on families now uh, because the expectation around parenting and, the, and, and, the, and all the extra things that children need. But the need. expectation you talk about, the expectation is... That you have to be your child's friend, isn't that so? Do you know what I mean? That that the idea that you're the child's father or the child's mother and therefore you're an authority mm. figure, it seems to be much more like that you're the child's best pal. I'm not sure whether that works or no, not. No, I wouldn't. It certainly never recommend parents to be their child's pal as such. Like, I think it's a, it's a delicate balance. When they've done research about what's the best style of parenting, and, and there's a good bit of research about this over like 50 years, it's a balance between what they call being an authority as a parent, like where you're a role model, and also being a warm, connected parent. Uh, so the good parents strike a, a balance between those two things. Uh, you don't want to just be, on the one hand, just an authority figure that's distant and remote, nor do you want to be this sort of completely permissive, connected parent. It's getting it's something in the middle that you, you're but, both. But what we're talking about here is this this article about giving the phrase more backbone, yeah. right, to children. Children mm-hmm. need more backbone to solve their own problems. Is this research-based or is it somebody's opinion? I'd say that's, uh, that's somebody's opinion uh, and, and, and there's some degree of truth in that that actually in some instances children are not get, are overprotected and not given the opportunity to sort out the different problems they're dealing with or conflicts. Like, for example, if they're... A, a classic thing might be if uh, two siblings are fighting or a fight with a friend, uh, parents might come in too quickly to sort things out, judge who's wrong and tell the children how to resolve it. Like, you do this and do that. Whereas a much better approach is actually to leave them at it uh, in many ways and just give them a bit of support to support that themselves. Listen, I want the two of you to talk and sort of, and decide what you're going to do and help them sort out the conflict because that's much more empowering them. So so it's a, it's a delicate balance. So. But the parent is in the front door of the school now a lot more than the parent than the parent of previous generations was in the front door. If if a child now gets kicked out of class mm. for or, or whatever mm. or some kind of discipline, they, in teachers will tell you that next minute parents are in the door in some cases threatening grievous bodily harm on teacher for my Johnny like whereas if you came home uh, as you did when corporal punishment was part of the school system your your parents sort of said to you well you probably deserved it now that lack of awareness I appreciate mm. led to other difficulties but I'm not sure the current system is better well, the, the the research shows that when parents are more involved in their child's education and are more involved in the school and the, and the school are able to facilitate that and encourage parent involvement and and team, teachers and parents working together, that's better for children. So I would think there, there's advantages to uh, the way that the system is now. And now of course, there's problems with um, if a parent is overdoing that and maybe there's but, some boundary. But, 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 the, but, the but, problem, but as a rule, yeah. anytime I have when I meet children who are in difficulty or are suffering from problems in school, the resolution is the parent and teacher usually working together a little bit to sort it out. That's very helpful.
Yeah, now my guest is John Cherry, parenting columnist for the Irish Times, but also founder of the charity Parents Plus, where clearly the charity gives support to parents and families in need of help, but probably unable to pay for professional help. But the thing, of course, is we don't have any research, evidence research now of how these new generation of kids are going to work out. We There are no kids who were brought up with a mobile phone in their uh, stroller. Isn't that right? We don't have that mm. evidence yet. Like, just mm. anecdotally, and coming mm. back on my holidays on Sunday, mother is walking down the aisle mm. with babe in arms, mm. like babe in arms, mm. and babe in arms is kept quiet by a mobile mm. phone, which she's swiping. Mm. I mean, I was staggered to mm. see a child of less than one year old had, had at least knew that you swept this thing for something to happen. Now, we've no evidence to suggest well, that's it's a, just harming their brain, their imagination, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all that. Well, that, that's a very good, good that's a very different point, of, of course, about the whole influence of technology and the, everyone has technology now and screens and children have them from a very, very young age to what impact that will have on children. And, and, and that is a worry because uh, there's, I see lots of, of situations where children are addicted to technology uh, that, and it has a, a detrimental effect or the families are addicted to it, like the parents as well. And instead of people communicating and talking, you talked about the parent going down to school and the child is on the, on, a, on, a, on a tablet or the, or, the, or the mother is also distracted past me on the phone and they're not talking to one another. And actually the best benefit for children is to, for that to be an opportunity for conversation and connection and, and I, so but, forth. So, 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 so technology is, is a problem and I think you don't need to wait much for longer to re- to think that boundaries and rules need to be set around that. Yeah, but but this thing about uh, where we're talking about giving children the opportunity to solve their own problems, mm-hmm. it is a fact that we aren't. Isn't mm-hmm. that right? We simply are not giving children the opportunity to solve their own problems. Well, probably overall, there's been probably a tendency to move away from where they they were left to to do everything by themselves to more. Parents are more involved and more uh, in in their ch- child's lives, and maybe uh, taking over too much from that. Yeah, but if if a previous generation, the child left the house at you know anecdotally mm. or hypothetically left at dawn and came home at dusk, like mm. the image of my childhood is my mother standing at the door shouting George because it was now dark yeah. and yeah. I was supposed to be home yeah. and I was beating a football off yeah. the wall or whatever. Yeah. Now. That was a generation where children fixed their own problems. Mm. Were they bullying or or mm. whatever the problems that children had, you fixed them yourself. You mm-hmm. dealt with them. Now, I'm mm. sure there were failures in dealing exactly, with them. Exactly, yeah. Like, there's lots of advantages to that, as I've said. To, because largely, children can resolve their own conflict. But the, as you said, sometimes there were failures. Sometimes there was a child who was picked on and nobody noticed, or a child who was bullied and nobody noticed. Um and in those situations, they do need the support of their parents to, to resolve that those conflicts. It's not good to leave them in that. So once again, it's a balance. You want to support children to be living independent, sorting out their problems as much as they can. In their bit. But if they're struggling with that, you need to be there to help them but, and yeah, support them. But, uh, but you know, I think it's called this Chinese parent syndrome or something, isn't it? Tiger We're, parenting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where the parent is absolutely like, has the child. It's a very good friend of mine is a professional golfer, mm. a woman, mm-hmm. um, a Korean, uh, mm. Californian called Christina Kim. Mm-hmm. And Christina's father literally brought mm. her to the golf range at about five mm. and said, hit a thousand balls. And she was 
then hitting a thousand balls a day <laughs> from the age of five. Mm-hmm. There is this element that child must be in ballet, mm-hmm. music school, uh, everything else, mm-hmm. but there's no actual playtime. I, I agree. I agree with that. That actually, in in certain sections of society, parents overstructure their children's lives. Like they go to every class there is, uh, and there's a big pressure for the child to perform and succeed at uh, tasks or activities like whether you're saying ballet or golf or something that the parents are driving towards, and that puts enormous pressure on the child. When actually, young children in particular. Uh, benefit from unstructured time, from play time, a time they determine themselves where they can have to plan out to deal with boredom, uh, simple things, sitting at home, uh, making crafts or working things out. All all those are amazingly beneficial. So you want a a balance between that. A couple of structured activities, yes. But but the point you actually make there, when we were talking about tiger parenting, we were talking about every go to every class and everything else, Mm. Does seem to indicate, does it not? This is a, this is a middle class failing because if you're poor, mm. you can't afford to be sending a child to exactly. ballet and all this. Or tiger thing. parenting would be unique to a certain middle class uh, section. Oh yeah. So <laughs> of therefore, society. therefore, can we say that a poorer child that there might be some some advantage to being poor? Well, <laughs> now well, that's a hard one to answer. Well, I, I don't know. I know I don't no, really. no, but you know what I mean. In other words, maybe a child that doesn't actually have mm-hmm. a zillion things geared for them at the weekend might actually be better off. Well, again, it's all about balance. Like, uh, it, there's no, like, uh, these these aren't very simple answers. Like, somebody's overstructured with tons and tons of things uh, at classes, it's not good for them. But somebody with, n- with nothing, uh, with not actually getting some support encouragement to take up hobbies and interests and be yeah. and succeed at it, uh, isn't great either. So you, it's just talking about, like, like Richard children are thinking they have one or two things that evoke their passions that they like, that they want to contribute at, that they want to succeed at. That's about right. And the key thing is to pick things that match their interests and talents. Yeah. You watch your child and see, oh, this makes them alive. This is something they're good at. And you, and you try to encourage them that. Sometimes there's a conflict that that isn't what you really would have thought you would have liked for them. You would have preferred if they yeah. were involved in your interests. That's where it sometimes it's a yeah. bit hard. Uh, but definitely it's all about balance, George, parenting. You can't get away from that. Yeah, but Any but, extreme yeah. seems to cause the problems. Riding know? a bike is about balance too, and that's exactly. not easy either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, good of you to join me is John Sherry, who is the Irish Times parenting columnist, himself the founder of Parents Plus Charity. All you tiger parents out there might like to get on and tell me just how wealthy you are that you can do all these activities to 53106. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But, of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between 4.30 and 7 every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.